0: Teacher. you're in for a real treat next week as well but you're in for a real treat today because we've got one of our own who we love I love Benjamin one because he's a very handsome fella and a good friend of mine but his creativity is absolutely fantastic I love how he uh, God would give him a text and he'd just bring it new life into it and Ben we honor you for your communication gift we love you you're at home here mate Be free. If you need to go off peace, go for it. We trust you and we love you. So we're going to check out the um, live, the intro DVD for the series over all locations. And then we're going to give Benjamin Middleton a wonderful, raucous round of applause and welcome as he shares the word of God this morning. So thank you.
1: Welcome to our Easter series. Each year we try to find fresh understanding
0: as we look at the Easter story. We aim to faithfully walk through the story of Jesus' trial, crucifixion, burial, and resurrection in a way that we can all identify with. This year, we are considering Easter through women's eyes. It is very noticeable in the Gospel accounts how much women figure in the narrative. It is also striking how close and involved they are in the events. This week, our subject is near the suffering. That was an uncomfortable long walk-up. Should have sat there. Um, thanks for that introduction, Dan. I appreciate that. Do you know, Dan's the only person that calls me Benjamin. And it makes, make, it gives me authority. Makes me feel really good when he calls me Benjamin. Does anyone know what the name Benjamin means? Son of the right hand. Who sits at the right hand of God? Jesus. <laughs> Just saying. So... Um, Easter through women's eyes. I know what you're thinking. Why is this guy coming up to talk about Easter through women's eyes? Um, and I'll be honest with you, I genuinely thought the same. <laughs> I read the notes and I'm like, I'm not really sure um, they've lined this rotor up correctly. Because <laughs> I'm not a woman. Um, but actually, the more I thought about it, the more I, um, I prayed about it and, and sort of spoke to God about it, the more I thought, actually, I'm well equipped for this. Because I don't know whether you know, but I've spent the last 15 years trying to understand life through women's eyes. <laughs> um, I have a wife. For those that don't know, I have a wife, three kids. And genuinely, most of my day is spent thinking, why are you doing what you are doing? <laughs> right, Paul? Um, so, like, genuinely, the cat's watching the telly and she's, like, crying at adverts. I'm thinking, why? What is going <laughs> through your head? Peyton, it doesn't matter how many times I ask her to turn the light off in a bedroom, she doesn't. And I want to understand the perspective of her brain. So I do actually feel a little bit qualified to be able to try and bring this message. So we're kicking off this series. Um, As Irene said, it's a story that we hear every year. And what I want to do this morning is to try and take away um, this idea of it just being a story that it's a book that we read or something that we go over. Oh yeah, it's Easter time again. Let's dust off the little Easter book and and read this story about what Jesus did. I want to try and dispel that a little bit because um, to me, I don't know about you, but to me, this is the most significant thing that has ever happened in history. When Jesus died on the cross, um, it wasn't just for the people at that time. It was for me. I genuinely believe he had me in mind. And I genuinely believe he had you in mind when he did that. So we're going to unpack this, and, um, and because I don't want it to feel like it's just a story that we, we dust off and we read, um, we're going to try and look at it through a different perspective. Um, so just set some context um, as to why we do this. Has, any, has anybody ever had an occasion where their dad or their granddad or, or, or the mum has, has told a story at a family meal or something? And then it gets told and told and told and told and told again. And there's this like huge difference, isn't there, between the first time they tell it, you know, that my dad's been fishing and he caught a fish this big. And he gets into the detail and you understand all of it through his perspective. But then the, the second time, the third time, and then the 27th time that he tells this story about the fish that he caught, it's grown legs, you know, <laughs> the fish was a little bit bigger um, he cuts out some of the important details. he just brushes over it and um, and i don 't want it to feel like that is what we 're doing with with the story of jesus i don 't want it to feel like it 's this, this story that we that we roll out that we dust off, that we you know, go over the key points, maybe expand a little bit, maybe focus in on a little bit else. I want it to feel like it 's living um, and breathing. so does anybody else feel like that? Great, if you do, then this is okay. So, the importance of different perspectives. I um, read a story about a, um, a gardener that was um, doing some gardening, because that's what gardeners do. Um, and uh, he was over in a particular area of the garden, and he saw um, a pile of what he saw as weeds, uh, dandelions and bits like that. And he went over, and he was, he was starting to dig up these weeds. And the little girl came over and said, what are you doing? He said, I'm cleaning the weeds up. And she said, well, that's a wish. You're breaking my wish. And so you've got this difference of perspective, haven't you? You've got a gardener who sat there thinking there's just a load of weeds over it. And to a little girl, this is a wish. This is something that could become true. So um, the importance of perspective is huge, isn't it? And um, in our Connect group at the minute, we are doing the marriage course. Very important to understand perspective when you do the marriage course. Um, we've had some great little stories in there about how um, maybe a man's perspective and a wife's perspective are a little bit different to a story. Um, but that's been good. Um, so it is important, isn't it, to understand um, stories from different angles. So that's why we're doing what we're doing. We're understanding it through the eyes of women. Because when I read the Bible, I often, um, I don't know whether you do this or whether this is just me and I'm just a little bit weird. Do you ever read a quote and you, when you read it in your head, it sounds like the person that the quote is? Is that a thing? So like when I read like, um, when I used to read, Fergie's quotes after the Man U games it would be in a Scottish accent in my head is that (laughs) what people do a few nods okay a few weird people in there um and because I I don't know because I do that I think when I read some of the stories in in the bible I kind of hear this narrator voice um you know like the guy off the x-factor that's how it sounds sometimes um when I read the story and so I get a little bit of the narrator's perspective as to oh what's going on in this story um but I think sometimes when you put yourself in the story and when you imagine it from one of the other characters, you get a little bit of gold, don't you? Um, so, you know, I, I genuinely believe that um, the Bible is God-breathed. You know, it is inspired um, by God. But I also accept that it is written by people. And it's their sometimes their perception of what's God saying in that moment. So, but I think because it is written by people and there's, a, it's got its own context. It's got its own purpose. There's an audience that that book is written written about. Sometimes, what I think God encourages us to do is to put ourselves in the story. And um, because it's God breathed, we sometimes get these little seeds that come out of a story, don't we? That is just like, wow, I didn't, I wouldn't have seen that before if I hadn't imagined it from that guy's perspective or her perspective. So, um, as I prepared this morning. And we've looked at it through the eyes of um, of a woman. Um, I think there's two key things that we can pull out of this story that that I think are going to help us. Um, So I'm going to share that. So um, it's from Matthew 27. If you've got your Bibles, then um, get them out. Have a read with me. It's from the NIV. Um, It's quite a long passage. So I'm just going to read. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor. And the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. I love that about Jesus. Isn't it great, isn't it? He does, he, 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 how he handles this whole situation, I think, is incredible. He said, well, you've said I am. Um, so when he was accused then by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. And then Pilate asked him, do you hear the testimony they're bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even a single charge to the great amazement of the governor. Now, it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. And at that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release for you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. What shall I do then with Jesus, who you call the Messiah, Pilate asked. They answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but instead an uproar was starting, he took the water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. So we pick up this story where um, Pilate is is charged with um, finding Jesus guilty. And he's actually looking at it. And the way that this picture, uh, this um, story, the way that I read it, and you feel a little bit sorry for Pilate a bit, in it, don't you? Like, oh, poor old Pilate. You know, he, he do not really want to send Jesus off to be crucified, but he's getting forced into it it's it's, um, quite crucial, I think, to understand a bit of context around Pilate. So um, I think you probably knew he was the prefect of the Roman province um, at the time. Um, But actually, Pilate was a really nasty man. Um, There's not many other occasions in the Bible where we learn about Pilate, but um, you can pick up from um, lots of writers around the time. So a guy called Philo, who was a Jewish uh, philosopher, said, the, uh, his violence, his thefts, his assaults, his abusive behaviour, his frequent executions of untried prisoners and his endless savage ferocity. So there's lots of accounts where uh, he's actually described as this really nasty man. But this, um, but this uh, account of him describes him as almost like he's just getting taken on a ride. Um, and I sort of ask myself in this, um, you know, why? why is he... Why is it accounted in this way? Um, you know, why is it that this man who had a track record of having no regard for the Jewish religion, I mean, he, he, he covered the city in, in pictures of Caesar. He, he changed their coins, um, the mark on their coins, to show um, pagan symbols. He had little regard for what was going on in the Jewish culture, so why in this story are we seeing that actually it just feels like he's, he's kind of going on a ride? Um, maybe it says in there it was the fear of the, the crowds getting um, into a riot. Maybe he was actually displaying, um, it was a display of irony towards the Jewish people. That look, the, 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 this is the man who you say is your king um, and you want him dead. Maybe it was that. Or maybe it was the influence of a wife. And that's what I want to unpack Um, in this that that verse about this message that his wife sent him is bang in the middle of that and I just wonder whether actually a man who um, is ferocious is is a really really horrible man maybe the influence of a wife um, in that moment just changed his heart a little bit and helped him look at things a little bit differently so the first thing that I want to pick up on is the intuition of the wife so intuition is the ability to understand something instinctively without the need for conscious reasoning. If you're making notes, write down conscious reasoning because that's going to become a crucial part of this. So has anybody got a wife or a girlfriend who um, has a look? You know, the the look of the wife. I call it the look of death. Um, And it's, it's that look, isn't it, where they just know that you're not quite telling the truth or something's a little bit, you know, a little bit off. Um, So, and I'm not saying men don't have this, but we just don't have it very much, do we? Um, So, to demonstrate this. Now, I'm a flawed man, as you all probably know. And one of my um, greatest flaws is that I don't like food. Um, Not really that interested in it. See it as a little bit of an inconvenience to my day. Um, And because of this um, dislike for food, um, I have this cycle where don't like food, really can't be bothered with any preparation of food. So the idea of making myself lunch in the morning is just um, makes me feel a little bit sick, if I'm honest with you. Um, so I have this cycle, but I'm, I'm a human, so I get hungry. So because of this cycle, I tend to lean towards fast food in the day. And when I'm out and I'm out on the road, you know, um, I've been known to nip into a McDonald's or a Burger King and, and grab me grab me food. Um, now, when I get home and cat says, "Oh, what did you have for lunch today?" Um, then there's just this ability, without conscious reasoning, for her to know what went into my belly. It's unbelievable, and she just picks up on things, um, and she uses it um, all over the place. She's incredible at just picking up on when people just aren't quite right. You know, she'll, she'll say to me, oh, do, do you think so-and-so was, was okay this morning? Um, and I'm like, yeah, I think they're fine. But she's got this ability to pick up on it, and she responds with it. You know, she'll drop them a text, and actually sometimes that is exactly what they need in that moment. So there is something, you know, this isn't a battle of the sexes, but there is something about a woman's intuition That is so crucial. And I think this intuition is um, a really crucial part of the gospel story. So in this this account, the same is true. The intuition of Pilate's wife is crucial. So we pick it up in verse 19. It says, when Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that man, for I've suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. Uh, The message version says, don't get mixed up in judging this noble man. I've been through a long and troubled night because of a dream about him. Her intuition tells her that something isn't quite right, Something, um, something's not going on. Now, she talks about a dream in there, doesn't she? And God, God speaks a lot in dreams, particularly in Matthew's gospel. He, he mentions lots of times where God's spoken in dreams. Um, he talks about the dream to the Magi, um, warning them not to return to Herod. Um, the dream to Joseph, warning him to flee to Egypt and then to come back to Galilee. Um, and I love this idea about the, um, this sort of this battle between this con- conscious reasoning and what I'm calling unconscious revelation. So in her dream, she's had this revelation. It's in her unconscious state, she's dreaming. And I think often when God speaks to us, he actually speaks, speaks to us outside of our conscious reasoning doesn't he? Um, I've only really heard a few occasions where people have said, I've, I've heard an, or the audible voice of God. I've, I've heard that, but only on a few occasions. More often than not, what I hear is that people just sense that God is speaking to them. It's outside of their conscious reasoning. And so when um, we pick up on this story of how the intuition of, of Pilate's wife existed in a place of a dream, she just knew something wasn't right. And I just want to challenge us a little bit on that because how many times have, um, not necessarily through a dream, but how many times have we felt like God has prompted us or spoken to us and then applied some conscious reasoning to it? No, he couldn't possibly mean that. No, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I remember one occasion where I went to film a car up with petrol and um, I saw that on the other pump, this, this young lady, she had kids in the back. Flipping time. She had kids in the back. And um, she put £3.36 petrol in the car. And I felt this massive prompt to go and fill a car up with petrol. And do you know what? I didn't do it. And I feel like I literally remember that every day. Not every day. A bit over the top, but I remember that. I remember the moment where God prompted me to do something, but my conscious reasoning kicked in and went, No, 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 she'll be embarrassed. If I go over and say, Can I fill your car up with petrol? She'll be embarrassed. Uh, she's all right. Maybe she, maybe it's a higher car, maybe she's just filling up 33 uh, £3.66 because that's the amount that it took to take it back. And and I kicked in with this logic of, No, 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 that can't be what God's asking me to do but i come away from that and i'm going he absolutely asked me to do that and i didn't do it and um and i i i carry that and you know i hope that she found some more petrol along the way and but that was an opportunity for me to do something but i didn't take it and i don't want to be somebody that lives my life like that i actually want to be somebody that listens to the voice of god that doesn't just put it through the filter of Um, conscious reasoning, but goes, no, God has spoke this into my life. God has asked me to do this. I want to be somebody, like Pilate's wife, that acts on it. She had a dream that Jesus was innocent and that her husband shouldn't sentence him to death, and she acted on it. There wasn't anything to do with like, oh, no, hold on a minute. Let me just get the context in here. Let me understand what's going on. She acted on it because God spoke to her. Now, she was a well-educated woman. She was well-respected but she felt so compelled by that intuition that she needed to do something about it. And I just want to be somebody that does something about it. You know, we we live in a broken world, don't we? And I've had three or four conversations already this morning where I think people have got some stuff going on. And I want to be somebody that doesn't just rock up to church and sing the songs and then go home and feel like my life's all right. I want to be somebody that listens to the voice of God that actually steps out and does things um, because of what he's telling me to do. Um, I don't want to be somebody that rationalizes it, breaks it down into bite-sized chunks. I want to act. And I want us to be people that do that because I think that is actually where we make the difference, isn't it, out in our world? Can you imagine a scenario where you're in your workplace or you're you're in your situations in the spheres that you exist in and we listen to what God's actually asking us to do? And more often than not, they're just little things. I could have filled a car up with petrol. It wouldn't have been a problem. But I didn't respond to that. And I don't want to be somebody that carries that. I want to be somebody that says, no, I did do that, actually. Or I saw a need and I stepped in. So I know we don't usually do this, but I'm going to pray for that in the middle of this. Because I feel like that's something that if we can grab hold of this... And understand that God speaks to us on a daily basis. This isn't, you know, this isn't saved for Sunday mornings. It's not saved for the middle of worship slots where people come up and bring a a word. This is an active, living uh, relationship with a living God. He wants to talk to us. We're his hands. Um, In the prayer meeting earlier, um, Owen brought um, the verse about how we're we're the body of Christ. We are the feet, the ears, the eyes, the eyebrows. We've all got a role to play in it. But we've got to be those things on the earth. It's no good just being afoot but sat you know at home, is it? You've got to be out there kicking stuff. Um so I'm gonna pray. Father God, I thank you for this revelation, Lord. I thank you that um that you've given us intuition. That we've just got this sense sometimes that things aren't quite white right. And I pray that as we go on. Uh, the next couple of weeks in particular, I pray that you draw an element of focus to these things that that are just all around us. Draw a focus to our minds on the world and how broken it is and the need that is out there, Lord. Help us to recognize when you speak to us, when you ask us to step in and do things. Help us to recognize that you are calling us to be your plan A. Um, Help us to do that, Lord God. Just prompt us with these things that you're asking us to do and help us to have the courage and um, to be able to step out and just do that without applying our own logic, our own reasoning. Help us to do it um, out in faith for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's a good point, that, wasn't it? I didn't come up with it. I came up with a little bit of it. Um, So the second point then is the innocence of Jesus. So we've had the intuition, Um, of the wife and the innocence of Jesus. Pilate's wife had a revelation of Jesus' innocence. That was the revelation, but it was her intuition that caused her to act on it. The revelation was his innocence. So let's just read that verse again. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, um, his wife sent him a message don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I've suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. Now, when I was planning for that, I read that verse so many times, because I'm like, that is harsh. Like, when you first read it, I was like, you're being really harsh there. I've suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. Don't have anything to do with him. That's how I read it. And then I dwelled on it a little bit more. And I looked at some different versions, and I understood that, actually. Um, I think what she's doing is... This is, this is her getting the revelation of Jesus' innocence and feeling what that meant in that moment. She felt this deeply. She understood that this man who had committed no sin was on trial and was about to be killed. And she had the revelation and she felt it. So when she said, I suffered a great deal in a dream, I genuinely think that she was up all night toiling with herself, that how on earth... Can this happen? That this man who has done nothing wrong is gonna die. And I think she struggled with it so much to the point where she was like, I've gotta do something about it. So she whipped out her phone and she sent a little WhatsApp to um, to Pilot. Um, and and you can see as the story unfolds that actually I think Pilot tries a little bit to heed um, the the input from his wife i think he does because it does like i said before we feel a bit sorry for him that he tries you know he gives the opportunity um but when i when i sort of looked on this um i think there's something so crucial in it and if you've seen this before then you're better than me but i saw it for the first time and um i think that the timing of when she sends this message is so crucial um Because it's only when the option to um, exonerate Barabbas comes into play that she speaks. So we're going through the story, and like Pilate's going, do you, you know, Jesus, do you agree with what they're saying? Do you have anything to say? He's trying to give him a get out of jail free card at that point. Do you have anything to say? I'm giving you a chance so I can, you know, get you out of this, mate. (laughs) Wink, wink. And then he doesn't take it, he doesn't say anything. And then he thinks, oh, hold on a minute, I've got another under got another card up my sleeve I can play this card you know I can say that um somebody's going to go free today guys don't worry about it you know do you want Barabbas this bad man over here or do you want Jesus who you call you know the Christ do you want this man I can imagine it can't you um and it's only at this point when um when he starts to throw into the mix of Barabbas that his wife speaks up because I think she's you know, I don't know where she was or what she was watching, but I can imagine she was in and around the events that were going on and thought, no, hold on a minute. Don't give him the option. Like, this man is innocent. He's not. Jesus is innocent. So she sends this message. And it's almost like the idea of this guilty man going free is so offensive to her that she has to act. It is, isn't it? Let me repeat what's going on here. The idea... That a man who is sinful goes free and Jesus dies is so offensive to her that she has to do something about it. Is it me or is that not the gospel? That is the gospel in a nutshell, isn't it? And she, I genuinely feel she felt the full force of what was going on in that. When you sometimes, it's sometimes just... you glaze over it a little bit. Yeah, she thought Jesus was innocent. But the extent of his innocence in her revelation was something that I've, I honestly think, trying to put myself in her shoes, she was like blown over by. It. She was like, this is not just. The injustice rose up in her um, and she had to do something. But isn't this amazing about the way that God works, isn't it? That in amongst all of our mistakes... And um, all of the things that we do wrong and the things that we put ourselves first, he still manages to find a way to weave his plan through it all. Can you imagine the priests and the elders at the time walking around when this was going on? You know, they're fist bumping, aren't they? They're like, get in there, lads. We've got him. We've absolutely got him. They're walking. I think this was weeks and weeks of scheming, you know, with the crowds. You know, in that moment when when, when he said do you want Barabbas to go free or Jesus? It wasn't just like a one-man shout at Barabbas, and then everyone's like, oh, yeah, Barabbas, Barabbas. It was weeks of scheming, of speaking to people that are crucial in the Jewish community and going, you know, there's going to be this opportunity where we can get get Jesus crucified here. And they're poisoning their their thought processes weeks and weeks and weeks. And they're walking around in this moment going, this is it. We've done it. Like literally patting each other on the back going, lads, we've done it. He's going to die. And yet, all along, God's plan was taking shape, wasn't it? In amongst all of their um, convoluted thought, all of their disregard to what's going on, God's plan is unmissable. Because in that moment, we see this example of how a guilty man will go free because Jesus chose to die. I think that is incredible. This is the challenge, isn't it, at Easter? Is that revelation... A reality to us that's so deep. Is it so deep that we would choose to do what Pilate's wife did in that moment? Do we understand it? Do we, can we get a real grasp of what Jesus did in that moment? The innocence of the man. And yet a guilty man goes free. How do our hearts respond when we think about what Jesus did? Did we, do we suffer a great deal when we understand what Jesus did for us? Now, don't misread me here. You know, God wants us to live in absolute freedom. That is why he sent Jesus. He doesn't want us to walk around in shame, looking at the things we've done um, and, and our lives being affected by the bad choices that we've made. He doesn't want that for us. He wants us to live in freedom. But what I don't want us to do and what I'm sometimes guilty of is downplaying the role. Of what Jesus did in that moment. Downplay him. The fact that he has taken away my sin. Now I am. I was reading a couple of weeks ago. Peter. um, And 1 Peter 2.24 says. He himself bore our sins. In his body on the cross. So that we might die. To our sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Now. I sometimes think. Um or I've been guilty of thinking that what happened on the cross felt a bit like a transaction, that Jesus died and therefore my sins don't count anymore. And I've, I think as I dwelled on it a little bit more, I started to understand that sometimes maybe I think that when Jesus died, my sins were taken from me, crushed up into a little ball and thrown out of the way. And they don't count anymore. And that is that is what's going on. But actually what this verse says is that Jesus bore our sins. He War them. Can you imagine if Jesus came through this door now and he stood in front of us all and he told you everything that I've done in my life. And he, and he said, don't blame that guy for it. I'll take that. Everything that I've done, all the wrong decisions I've made, all of the bad choices that I've done, all of the selfishness that I've applied in my life. Imagine if he walked through and said, let me tell you this, this is mine, guys. Imagine if he did it for you all of the things that you've done in your life. He comes, he says, no, I've got this, guys. Now, I don't want us to leave this place with a heavy heart. I don't want us to to dwell on the things that we've done wrong. But I want us to get a fresh revelation of when Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't just so that we can come to church and have a nice little high five celebration. No, it was so that we live lives in freedom. And I honestly think the amount of, um How big you view your freedom is dependent on how much you understand what jesus did and i I really want us to grasp this today. I want us to to understand that um, this story of easter is is not just a Julia Donaldson story where there 's a nice little moral at the end of it, um, but it 's p g rated being a christian's not easy um It's not just a a simple choice. You know, there are things that we have to stand up, I think, for and and accept that I don't want to really live in sometimes what Western church does and we just dumb it down a little bit, don't we? And we say, yeah, Jesus died our sins, you're all right. But we've done some stuff in our lives that Jesus (laughs) took away from us. And that is good news. That is the gospel. That is this incredible, uplifting Um, exciting, um, jubilant sense of emotion that I think we should feel in this place right now. When I look at your faces, they look a bit like this. I want them to look a little bit happier because this isn't about what you've done. This has never been about what you've done. We're flawed. We're all flawed. We're going to make mistakes. No, this is about what Jesus did in that moment. And I think, you know, Pilate's wife got that full revelation of what he was doing. Of how he took away, yes, amen. How he took away the sins of Barabbas, how he took away the sins of me, and how he took away the sins of you. So there's a couple of challenges, I think, as we uh, come to an end. Um, I think we need to listen to the voice of God more. I think we need to acknowledge that, you know, it is no coincidence, is it, that the God who created us Um, in the way that we function, the way that our brains work, intuition is what we've called it. You know, I think it's just God dropping things into our lives, into our minds. You know, when you actually actually look at the science behind how the brain works, it's fascinating. And you have seven pieces of information that you can hold in your conscious brain at any given time, but about three billion that you can hold in your subconscious, right? It's a lot of information, that, isn't it? Um, is it weird to think that God uses that? God's created a brain that just every now and then he'll pop something out of a subconscious and drop it into the conscious for us to react to it. Is it strange? I don't know. No, maybe not. I think that's the first challenge. I think that we need to listen a little bit more. And I think we need to respond a bit more. I think we've got to have the conviction that when you understand, if you, that, that I broke that broke me a little bit when I started to visualize Jesus coming in and the things that I'd done and... And he wore it. He'd come in, it's as as if he'd handed out a little newsletter and gone, right, here's all of the things that I've done. But it wasn't what he did, it's what I'd done. That broke me a little bit. And um, if we can live in the the revelation of that our entire lives, then actually we want to spend our entire lives trying to repay that faithfulness that God has shown. The fact that God so loved us that he sent Jesus to do that is something that let, let us never, ever um, forget that. Um, so I'm going to pray. Um, there's an opportunity to um, respond for the first time. Um, if, if you've been coming to a church uh, for a couple of weeks and you hear about all of this stuff, but actually this morning there's been an op- a time where you think, wow, that's incredible. Jesus did that for me. Then you've got an opportunity to respond and, um, and to make a commitment. God to say, I acknowledge that. I believe that you did that for me. Thank you for dying so that I could live in all of its fullness. Then you get that chance to do that today. You've also got an opportunity to to readdress um, some things. Maybe you feel like actually you've not lived um, with that revelation at the top of your mind all the time. Maybe you've been a little bit um, glib about it. I think we've got an opportunity to respond to that. Um, so I'm going to pray. Father God, um, Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for what you did. Um, That you sent your only son, who is completely and utterly blameless, to die so that we who are blameless could go free. Um, Father God, let us never take that for granted. And Lord, I just want to pray this morning, if there's anybody in this room that that is a revelation to them for the first time, if it's something that's bubbling away in them. I pray that you grab hold of them and um you make that cement itself in their heart today. I pray that if it's for somebody that's that's maybe been coming for church to church for a long time, been living a, a Christian life but actually they've lost sight of the um the innocence of you and, and the sacrifice that you made. I pray that in this moment you cement it again firm in their heart, that they don't take this for granted. And I pray that out of that revelation, Lord God, that we go now changed. We go with a sense that we are going to listen. We are going to try and be aware of what you're doing, what you're saying to us, um, to go and help the broken world that's out there. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you um, have responded for the first time, we'll do it a little bit differently. Maybe if you want to come and find one of the prayer team at the end of the service, um, they will just pray a prayer with you. Um, and uh, cement that, and uh, give you some stuff. Um, but there we go. Amen.
1: Well oh, and Ben, love that. I love that. I see like you're burdened with some revelation from God, and I love that. Um, and it's a real gift where God burdens someone with something, and then they—it's a real responsibility actually for Ben to kind of bring that revelation to us this morning. And I think it could be so easy for us to rush off, get kids, get a coffee, sort out all the bits that we have to do. But I think some of us maybe need to just sit in the revelation of what ben, ben has brought this morning. I think God's trying to say something to us. I think he's trying to remind us of who he is again. And I'm just reminded of this really brilliant quote by Dorothy Sayer that talks about how we so easily cut the claws of the Lion of Judah, that the Lion of Judah is powerful. And we cut his claws and we domesticate him um, for pious curates and um, pious old ladies is the quote. Um, I've got the quote here. And I really don't want that for us as a body. I don't want us to cut the claws of the Lion of Judah. I want us to know who he really is because that's what's going to make all the difference to us and all the difference to the people around us. So let me just quickly read you the quote. It says, The people who hanged Christ never to do them justice. They never accused him of being a bore. On the contrary... They thought him too dynamic to be safe. It has been left, unfortunately, for later generations to muffle up that shattering personality and surround him with an atmosphere of tedium. We have efficiently paired the claws of the line of Judah. We've accidentally certified him meek and mild and recommended him as a fitting household pet for pale curates, And pious old ladies and I really don't want us. I really want us to be clear on who Jesus is. Ben's bought it this morning. I feel he's burdened with a revelation because I feel God desperately wants to remind us of who he is. He isn't a household pet that's going to get us what we want or make us prosperous or make our life all happy. That's not who he is. He's the Lion of Judah. He is powerful. And I believe we need a fresh revelation this morning. So the kids will be all right just for a couple of moments. We don't need music and we don't need to dress it up. Maybe we just need to sit this morning just quietly for a couple of minutes and allow God to remind us who he is. He is powerful. Everything is summed up in him. What he did on the cross was something that separated history and changed it forever. So let's just allow that revelation just to sit with us. We'll do it silently, and sometimes we find that awkward in the way that we tend to do church nowadays, but let's not. Let's allow him to reveal himself, the Lion of Judah, to us, and then Dan will officially finish our service.